Hello, and welcome to Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. I'm your host, Inman Narrowin, and I use they-them pronouns. Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness is a collectively-run publisher dedicated to producing and curating inclusive and intersectional culture informed by anarchistic ideals. We're interested in publishing all kinds of things, from books to zines to podcasts with genres genres ranging from fiction to memoir to comics. We're looking for stories that don't know where they fit in, for people that don't know where they fit in. On this podcast, we have audio versions of our monthly featured zine, read by a brilliant voice actor, along with interviews with the author. We also make these really cool little quarter-sized zines in the monthly feature, which you can get mailed to you anywhere in the world if you sign up for our Zine of the Month Club on our Patreon. Before we get to our feature, we have some exciting news. Our newest book is out for pre-order right now, Escape from Incel Island by Margaret Killjoy. It's a hilarious and oddly heartfelt romp about escaping from an island prison. Pre-order it now on our website and get a free poster of the cover art drawn by the amazing Jonas Goonface. The book comes out February 1st. This month we have a short fiction piece by Alex Dial called Why the Wind Howls. Stick around after the piece for an interview with Alex about writing, myths, DIY theater, a horrifying legal system, and the problems with being an author who has to Google sketchy things. The piece is narrated by Alex himself. Thanks, Alex. Why the Wind Howls by Alexander Dial Long ago, when the sun was young, and not very bright, and everything sat in a cool shade, and nothing much changed, the world was a pair of lovers. Back then, the earth was unified. It sprawled, unbroken, a single massive island of stone and soil, its mountains reaching into the thin air its valleys resting below. The sea was a vast, dark brine. It was still in those days, having suffered less, but, though still, it moved more than the earth. Neither were yet home to much life, but not for lack of trying. Life is a tricky thing, and they were young. They weren't yet ready for parenthood, but that wasn't their fault. They were missing something important. But change was coming, and faster than either could guess. The earth and the sea had been together a very long time, as long as either could remember. They were content to hold each other fast, gazing into one another as they spun their waltz in the dark. And they were the world. Back then, the earth and the sea shared the atmosphere together, And so there was no wind, just a single held breath. The earth loved the sea. The earth couldn't imagine another partner. Earth relished the way the sea cradled its still shores, changing its stone to sand with a gentle, eternal caress. But the sea was older and deeper than the earth, and while it loved the earth, too, it dreamed at times of another to hold in the dark. The sea loved the earth. It savored its partner's unyielding structure. The earth had a shape, and to the sea, that was a wonder without end. 
But despite their deep and abiding love, it had long bothered the sea that neither could remember the day they had met. Theirs was a story with no beginning. Earth didn't mind. What matters is that we are together when our story ends, Earth would say. I will never leave you, my love, the sea replied. And that was true, but its longing continued to grow. The sea wanted to fall in love. It wanted a love story that began. It wanted to reveal someone and to be revealed in kind. In those days, for something to exist, all it took was a wish. Even something small could create life. But the earth and the sea were not small. They were gods. And when gods made wishes, they came true, one way or another. Just like that, the sea quietly wished a lover into being. It wished for someone new, someone strange and beautiful, bright, hot, and contradictory, someone fiery and frozen, someone salient and swift. So came Thea, burgeoned on the supernal power of the dreams of the sea, born of a wish from a god. She did not come gentle. Thea was a comet of iron, gold, and glass. She hurtled through the weft of space, wreathed in burning ice. She was a breakneck bolus of cosmic fate, and she quite literally came out of nowhere. She sailed right past the sun, who hardly noticed her, its eyes half-closed as it dreamed, gazing, fascinated, into its own growing heart. The sea, likewise, was distracted, basking in the coaly glow of the sun's gentle rays and the solid embrace of the earth, itself dreaming of yet more love from beyond. There was no one to warn the world. Young Thea didn't know much about herself or her destination. Hers was not such a purpose. She knew what she needed to know. She was approaching her destiny. Gods feel these things like one might feel a sneeze coming on. She couldn't see in the dark, but she didn't care. Thea was in love. She was comfortable with blindness. She hurtled, unaware of the trail of herself she left in her wake. I am Thea! Come to love you with all that I am, she cried. I answer. Her voice, a streak of dust and icy fire, broke away from her in the cloying dark of that long twilight, like a trail of burning breadcrumbs. She roared, song-like, with a manic glee that she would one day pass on to her living grandchildren. I am come. I find you. Receive me, my love. I am Thea, and I answer. Thea's serenade, swallowed in the silence, did not alert the slumbering lovers. Neither earth nor sea could hear her coming. But, as with all wishes of consequence, when inevitability arrives, the sea could feel her. The raw cosmic force of Thea's desire reached out to the world and pulled. The earth, solid, 
still, and unaccustomed to the gravity of guests, simply did not notice. But Thea's caress stirred the sea from its unfathomable rapture, first with ripples, then with waves. So it was that the sea in the darkness of night was the first to realize what was coming. The sea shouted to the earth, Darling one, look out! The sea rose up higher than ever and reached for the earth, throwing itself across its ancient lover in a vain attempt to shield earth's shores from the cataclysmic metamor. But the love-drunk earth, heavy and hard, was too slow, and Thea crashed into its back with all the force of her cosmic purpose. I love you, she sang. There was a blinding light and a brief apocalypse, and what little life there was on earth, painstakingly cradled and fragile, mostly ended. The shock was so great and the light so bright, the sun was startled from its reverie, and it turned its blazing gaze on the new thruple as they reeled in great wobbling circles, staggering through space trying to sort things out. The earth was broken. What parts of it weren't whirling off in white-hot shards into space were cracked and bleeding fire. The earth exhaled for the first time ever, and it showed no sign of stopping. It said nothing to the sea as it split and slid away from itself, molten and fractured. Seeing the earth letting go of its breath, their breath, the sea drew all the world's air into itself and roared. I will never leave you! And the sea rose again and crashed down on the earth in an embrace so complete the earth vanished from view and the fires went out. Things were quiet for a moment and the sea held the world's breath and waited. Just one cataclysm can kill a god, but not if that god has a healthy marriage. And so the earth awakened, and the sea relaxed its grasp. The earth was jealous, and in pain, and it does not, as a rule, like surprises. But above all else, the earth is patient. Though Thea was adrift in the dust, unconscious from the force of their union. The earth had seen the way the sea had responded to Thea's pull. Besides, they'd made quite an impression on each other. While Thea slept, the earth and the sea spoke privately. I am so sorry, darling, said the sea. I should have told you about my desires. The earth knew the sea had meant no harm with this wish for another lover, and it replied, Thea has brought us closer. Your waters churn as I have never seen, and where Thea struck, there is gold in my veins. Yes, said the sea, and the pull of Thea's love made me dance on your shores like I never imagined I could. I am sorry I was so forceful. I love you, said the earth to the sea. I love you, said the sea to the earth. Shall we wake her? asked one. Yes, my love, 
said the other. But Thea never woke up. Her meeting with the world had taken her life, but such had been her purpose. The earth and the sea grieved for her. Their neighbor, the sun, had watched this drama unfold and grown up in the process. It said to itself, the best gods take action when their neighbors are hurting. I wish I could help them. And just like that, it became a star. Siblings, said the sun, this is for you. And it wished itself brighter, bathing the earth and the sea with light. Shine a light on something long enough, and life will emerge. And so it did. Countless new children emerged to celebrate the union of earth and sea, and the world rejoiced through the pain of their calamity. But Thea's pale corpse was behind the world when the sun gave its gift. Her body drifted in the only shadow that was. She floated beyond, cold and still, while the earth and the sea blossomed with new life. When Thea's lifeless body finally drifted into the light, it sat still for an age. Then, finally, an eye opened, just a tiny sliver, and peered at the earth and the sea from a cool, bright crescent. The earth and the sea held their breaths for 28 days as she slowly awakened. She leaned on the light of the sun for balance. The earth and the sea called out to her, and she regarded them with caution, peering that borrowed light. Thea, she asked. Who is Thea? By now she had fully awakened, and she shone, boldly nude and a perfect circle, at the sea and the earth. My name is Luna, said the newborn moon, and I do not know you. Thea was gone as quickly as she'd come, like most wishes. The earth and the sea released their bated breaths in a great sorrowful wind. Their cry blew across the earth and over the sea, and they held each other tightly while Luna, beautiful and strange, watched close by from behind her changing face. Luna slowly closed herself off to Thea's lovers once more, drifting back into the cold darkness. When she all but disappeared, the earth and sea lamented again. First our lover, then now our neighbor, rumbled the earth. Her blood is yet to cool in my veins. My darling, my beautiful wish, heaved the sea. I am a murderer for dreaming so carelessly. And their cries were carried on the wind. Look, said the sun, she awakens. And indeed, in his warm regard, Luna opened herself just a little, and the earth and sea recognized her silver smile, and they laughed with joy, and their laughter was carried on the wind. Luna remembered her love for the sea that month and made a vow everlasting on her brightest night when she was most herself. I will never leave you, she promised. And she reached down with silver hands and caressed the sea. And the sea heaved and swelled with passion 
bathing the earth in the process. They were happy. My darling earth, said the sea, please forgive my intemperance. I never meant to hurt you. You and I are still the world, and we always will be. But I love her so much as well. We are bound, tied. You need not ask forgiveness, replied the earth. I can see that you are bound, and I want you to be happy. As you and I became the world, so you and Luna create the tide. But as Luna's light faded, she left again that month, passing into the shadow once more. When next she opened her eyes, she remembered nothing until the sun could fully wake her again. I will never leave you, she promised once more. Luna would repeat this dance of light and darkness forever, every month falling into a slumber in the umbra of the world, only to come to her senses and renew her vow, as though for the first time. I will never leave you, Luna says each time, and the sea reaches up to meet her. Now our story will always be beginning, says the sea to Luna, who simply laughs and reiterates her certainty that this time things will be different. Still, she keeps her secrets and her space, and to this day she leaves the world for the darkness every month without ever telling them where she goes or what she sees. She never remembers, but she always returns. The earth and the sea now pass their breaths back and forth, trading the wind and all its echoes. It carries all the things earth and sea had felt since Thea had come and gone. Fear, pain, guilt, joy, grief, growth, and love. A howl. Um, hi, and welcome to the Strangers podcast. Um, would you like to introduce yourself with your name, pronouns, and what, or just what do you do in the world? What What are you here for today? Hi, my name is Alexander Dial. I'm, uh, well, I've been many things. Uh, I guess at present, I am a short story author and a, uh, a laborer <laughs> here in Portland, Oregon. I'm uh, I'm on the podcast for having uh, written a submission uh, recently, and uh, I'm just here to talk, just here to hang out. I love um, people, and I don't have enough people, and I think you count as a person. So here we are. Uh, oh, my pronouns are uh, he, him. Wonderful. Um, I I hope I really hope I count as a person. Um, <laughs> Um, and we just listened to your uh, story, Why the Wind Howls, um, which you, you did the the narration for. Um, do you want to tell us just a little bit about that story kind of like in your, you know, in your own words, like what what is what's going on in this story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, it's a funny uh, 
I writing is such a fickle beast for me. I, I have a real um, struggle with my executive function when it comes to my all of my work. It's so hard to keep my momentum going. And um, I wrote Why the Wind Howls in the shortest. I mean, it was. I God, like 600 words or something. The first draft of it was barely there. And I didn't write it, you know, with the intention of making it anything greater. I wrote it. I wrote it in Twitter format. I, I really did. I wrote it. I wrote it in chunks and stuck it on Twitter uh, because I was just, I got it. I got this feeling in my head and I was like, I want to do like a little, like, something after the old oral traditions of, of, of mythical storytelling, you know, the kind of thing you get a fire going and you go, children, this is why the wind howls, you know, like um, <laughs> the kind of thing that you, you read about people having said, and mm -hmm. that kind of stuff isn't really long. It's not, it's not complicated. It's, um, it's basic, but it's, but it's big, you know, and, and it's, uh, I don't know, it's hard to make myths. And it's especially hard to to encapsulate them in a way that doesn't sound just uh, lazy. But I was like, not writing this for anyone. I, it wasn't going to go into publication. I just was like, I had this idea in my head, so I just kind of spit it out and stuck it on the internet, and uh, it it ended up uh, snowballing and uh, becoming something bigger. Nice. Yeah, I, I I know when you originally sent it to us, it was it was quite short, and we asked you oh, to uh, make make it longer. But I didn't realize that it had originally been on on Twitter. Um, <laughs> you can sort of see if you if you have a copy of the original draft I sent you, you can kind of tell just based on where the paragraphs are. You're like, how many characters is he? <laughs> you you can see it. <laughs> yeah. That's that's wild. Um, you know, there, I, I there's something I really yeah. <laughs> appreciate that. Like, um, I feel like there. Do you do you you remember? And by do you remember, I mean like in like the larger sense, because I you know this was in like the 1800s or something. Do, but do you remember when um, <laughs> when uh, stories and things were produced like more like serially, like you'd get like a little yeah, snippet of yeah. Charles Dickens in like the newspaper. Yeah, um, I love reading old serialized works. I love it. I I have such a huge soft spot for that. Um, I I I read a lot of comic books when I you know, and, and they have yeah, that same yeah. sort of yeah. I love it, and uh, uh, I I I thought about doing that kind of work. Uh, but again, I just, I have such a fucking problem with getting it done, you know? Uh, uh -huh. and I mean, if you're, if you're producing something serially, you're producing something serially, like it has to be produced and then every chunk of it needs to be released and it's a whole thing. And yeah. I just, um, I've never managed it to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, it's rough. I um, dabble in writing occasionally and there's this like pet project that I've had for like, 10 years or something and one one day I convinced myself I was like Inman the only way that you're ever gonna release this is if you I got this idea of doing it serially which I haven't done but um <laughs> what, what's that like I wonder yeah <laughs> not but relatable I was, at all <laughs> yeah 
But if I ever was going to release it, then I think the only way that it would happen is if I like did it serially. And like there, there's something right. like fun about that with like committing to choices, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you can't go back. It's, yeah. The, one of the most appealing uh, things about the idea of a serial release is you got to show up for this story regularly. You know, no one's asking you to write a whole ass book and be like, well, bam, here's my draft on the table. But like, you need to be like, here's chapter one. And then, you know, two weeks later or whatever it is, here's chapter two. And having spent most of my life being a showman on stage, I, I get that, you know? you're you're showing up and you're and you're doing the thing and it might be the same thing but you're doing it every night or you're doing it every weekend or you're showing up uh, in a different city or whatever and so there's something about that that resonates with me just having been a stage performer uh i really love the idea of a serialized narrative or or even even just a series of vignettes i mean i i i i i I'm working on a bunch of drafts right now, and some of them are intended to be part of a, what could be serialized. But it's a it's a series of like you know related vignettes, and um, it's the most progress I've made on any of my creative writing works is on that stuff rather than the bigger projects that I have collecting dust. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that feels very very relatable. Um... It seems so much easier to to come back around and and take bites out of the littler stuff, you know. Yeah, There's, yeah. The gravity of the big project is just fundamentally uh, intimidating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really can be. So I always kind of like to ask people like what the like kind of stories behind the stories are for. Um, they're for whatever they've given us, um, which which is funny because you know this is kind of like a the, this is a little bit of like a creation story. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but w- are there like w- w- what were kind of like the inspirations or like the like little threads of things that like uh, you were hoping to to have come out in in the story? So I have I have a real um affinity for uh animism you know mm. um the idea of uh of a living world uh it, it it really appeals to my creative sensibility to think that maybe there's a personality behind whatever it is you happen to be looking at the rocks or the beach or the moon or the or the sea uh and and if so, what's the story? Who who is the who is the sea? Where did the moon come from? You know, uh, it's a it's a it's a bug in my brain. You know, I, I just I find myself imagining uh, a world behind the world always <laughs> when it comes to that sort of thing. And 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 also it's appealing to me the idea of r- romance, like a supernal romance. You know, I I've heard it said that the that the moon was created from a cataclysm, you know, like this big <laughs> fucking rock came hurtling through the uh, the cosmos and just nailed the earth forever ago. 
Uh, <laughs> and and I, when you think about that from an animistic perspective, you go, well, that could be a kind of a love story. Like, I, haven't you ever fallen in love <laughs> in a disastrous way, out of the blue, you know? And and um and it left you you both reeling and 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 in pain, but but you wouldn't change it because now <laughs> you've got the moon up there in the sky, and it's beautiful. You know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And and I love creation myths. I I I never actually went to college, but I thought about it for a while, which counts for something. And I <laughs> I thought about uh, studying um, uh, anthropology. You know, just because all every culture has so many stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it occurred to me that I didn't have to pay all that money to do that. I could just buy books and read them. <laughs> yeah, let me let me tell you as someone who went to a couple years of anthropology college. Oh, um, yeah. no, not worth partner, it. My partner went to school for anthropology. Yeah, and they're like, no, no, no. Like it would have been a terrible mistake. <laughs> so yeah, no regrets. Just, no regrets. Yeah, just read books. <laughs> just read books and write. Yeah, I just, I just became a circus performer, right? I mean, I've just I'm all good choices over here. <laughs> wow that's um that's pretty pretty cool what, what what can you tell us a little bit about your days as or like what was this like circus or like performing project oh gosh i so uh i got into the theater i i was always kind of you know uh like that i was i was always that i was a bombastic kid i have a twin brother and uh i used to always make him you know, sit through these little performances I would do. Like I would, <laughs> when we were really little, I'd, we'd, I'd get all our stuffed animals together and, and they'd all have conversations with each other. And, and, and you know, and, and I would be like, I'd put on these shows for him. He didn't, he had, he was a little hard of hearing when we were super little. So he didn't start speaking for just a couple of years. <laughs> um, but there were like, there was like a two year period when we were toddlers where I would speak for him. Oh, wow. You know, people would be like, oh, look at these boys. Aren't they adorable? And, I, and, and I'd be like, our names are Alex and Nikki. <laughs> Strangers. <laughs> and that's just the way that it was. I never really grew out of, uh, I don't know, this, uh, this personality of mine. I thought, mm-hmm. well, every, everything deserves a voice, even these yeah. stuffed animals. Uh, and so I ended, up, I ended up attracted to the performance art. And I got into, I got into theater uh, in high school down in uh, Southern Oregon at Phoenix high school. My theater teacher's name was Bill Horton and he was, uh, is a fascinating man. Um, He changed my life. You know, everybody has like that one teacher and that Mm -hmm. was Bill. I mean, he, he used to get so pissed. He would throw duct tape at you. Uh, You know, he, and he taught me to be a techie as well. But it wasn't until my senior year in high school that he essentially forced me to take on a leading role in a play. I didn't want to do it um, oh, because wow. I didn't, well, I didn't think I was good enough for one thing, but also I liked being a technician. I liked being backstage. Mm-hmm. Uh, he more or less strong armed me into it. He threatened to put this other guy in the leading role if I didn't do it. And I, and I was like, this is going to be my last play in high school. And it's going to be so bad. If Mark is in the lead, it's going to be <laughs> oh terrible. God. I was like, I was like, oh, so I, so I took the role and I was Prospero in Shakespeare's The Tempest. There was, wait, there wasn't like a, 
there wasn't a middle ground between you and Mark. It was like. No, no we're talking small town theater, man. Phoenix, Oregon. Phoenix, Oregon. I know you have you have a Phoenix, Arizona. Imagine a worse town in every regard. <laughs> that's just a little north. That's Phoenix, Oregon. It's where I was educationally malnourished. Wow. And yeah, he basically was like, "It's you or Mark," and he knew that I I I, I couldn't stand it, so I took the role. Oh my god. Yeah, and I it changed my whole life though. You know, I ended up I didn't go into theater proper as a performer. Uh, mm-hmm. after that but I, I i went to work for the shakespeare festival and i got into stunt work um oh, stage okay. combat uh and that sort of thing and i ended up my stunt career is what really propelled me into the circus you know it, it seemed a natural enough progression here in portland in 2009 i i responded to a craigslist ad um <laughs> that was totally vague it didn't it wasn't like circus acrobatics it was like are you a strong guy do you have a background <laughs> in martial arts you know and i was like that's me i'm those things and i uh-huh. went to check it out and it was being part of a um of an acro adagio circus troupe the old school style you know group stunts human structure that kind Whoa. of thing the sort of stuff modern cheer is built on Okay. Cheer, cheerleading stunts that kind of thing and uh yeah and i i loved it and then i i had to leave portland i went down to san diego um where i had lived previously and i was like i want to be in the circus like i was in portland but nobody was doing circus acrobatics like i wanted so i was like i guess i'll make my own circus so i did i trained the acrobats i wrote the shows and i did it for eight fucking years i can't believe it looking back wow it's not like I had money, you know? <laughs> I don't know, how, how do you produce shows with no money? I just talked to people and they were like, I believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, that is a great question. Um, I, I organize with a small theater troupe uh, here in Tucson and mm. we have money for, the, we have like a small amount of money for the first time and like, yeah. I like, it, it's like liberating and I'm also like I don't like this I want us to build everything out of <laughs> I'm like let's just build everything out of trash it'll be fine oh my god it's terrifying I I, I can't tell you the number of times I just looking at the I, I, you know the business bank account and being like I can't there's nothing I can there's no padding I didn't have personal money to throw behind it you know I just mm-hmm. didn't and I mean, looking back, it's like I was the lead acrobat. I was training all the other acrobats. I was running the shows. I was doing all the press. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how the fuck I did it, you know, for eight years. Because I had a I had a regular day job. I was working full time at a regular day job. So it was like 80 hour average weeks for eight years. And looking back, uh-huh. I'm like, no. <laughs> I was like, no, you, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way i would do that again i'm glad i did it i'm glad that i was too naive uh to walk away <laughs> because it was an amazing time you know and i the the experiences of um, the things we were able to pull off so much with so little you yeah know, that's magic nobody knows they don't know they look at the stage and they see the show and mm-hmm. that's what they see they don't see that it's all held together with you know hot spit and bailing wire <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean 
I don't know. Like, I, I just got to work my first, like, stage call for, a, like, a Broadway show recently. And That's amazing. That's really I, amazing. It, it was a lot of fun, but, like, getting to, like, look up close at their puppets and everything, I was, like, it's not all that different than, like, things that I see in, like, DIY theater with, like, Bread and Circuit, or, sorry, Bread and, pu- bread and Puppet. Um, I'm, like, this is just the, this is just the, the $10,000 version of the Bread and Puppet, cir- uh, pu- Bread and Puppet Puppet, you know? Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. It's, it's such, I mean, gosh, the... The stage, the stage is just, it's one big swindle, you know, mm-hmm. it really is. And the closer you are to it, the more you see, you're like, ah, it's all just, <laughs> it's all just this. We're just going to do the same thing. You know, it's incredible. Yeah. It's magic though. It really is. It's magic. Yeah. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I like the, um, I like the lower stakes of writing. Mm-hmm. Uh if I if I write a shitty short story, it doesn't matter. No one's like mm-hmm. put out by that. But if I if I set up a whole ass circus show and you know there are seventeen performers lined up and it bombs and we've all been working on it for four months, uh, that's on me. I have to answer to all those people like right then. You know. Yeah. yeah. Then on the flip side of that, it's like I ugh, I just. It's so much harder to get it done because there's no pressure. <laughs> I, I yeah. never thought of myself as the kind of person who thrives under pressure. And I don't know if I would describe that as thriving, but it definitely seems to have positive effect on my results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 real about the pressure of of writing a show like that. Um, yeah. I... I was doing the writing for our spring production this past year. And what? Um, it like, you know, I, I think the I, I think the cast all thought that the script was like done, but I was changing <laughs> stuff like pretty, pretty much throughout it. And it was one of those things where like, everyone just trusted that the show was going to work. And I was like, yeah, it's going to work. And I was like, it, uh, and then it, and then it worked, which was a surprise to me, but. That, that, you know, congratulations. That's the magic of the stage, right? Yeah. And like, no, everyone afterwards, they're just like, like, Oh, that's amazing. That was amazing. Like, how'd you pull yeah. that off? And I'm like, I have no fucking clue how we pulled that yeah, off. Yeah. <laughs> how'd you do it? And you're looking at them like, you're asking me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It just it, happened. It, it, I mean, it happened. Isn't that what matters? <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, I, I definitely am looking forward to doing some more fictional work. Um, it has been really encouraging uh, since Why the Wind Howls, because um, it's the first piece of, of of work that anybody like told me they wanted to publish. You know, and I was <laughs> like, oh. That's so cool because I, I have all this other stuff, you know, waiting in the wings. And I'm like, well, you know, if, if I could write one thing that's worth reading, probably I could write some other stuff worth reading, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just to, or I'd love to talk more about that stuff, but just to backtrack, because I kept forgetting oh, to sure. ask you this question. Um, what was the, what was the name of the, the circus perf- like performance troupe or like whatever? Oh, the, so my circus was called Otherwise Entertainment. Okay, uh, cool. 
Yeah. Yeah, and what would exactly. what would y'all put on shows about like what was what was like writing a show like? Oh god, so we had we did we did mostly of course just gigging around. You just people hire you and you go and you work like at their is down in San Diego, it's like, you know, rich people would mm-hmm. hire you to like work their kids' birthday parties or you you'd go to like a graduation party for someone's kid when they were home from college or something and they were like, we're going to do a circus thing. There was kind of this circus boom for a few years there. If you remember, there were like, mm-hmm. there was like oh, a lot I, of circus yeah. performers and music videos and stuff. Yeah. And so we were sort of riding that wave. Um, but the shows that I specifically, you know, created, well, the, the big, the big ones were, I did an adult circus review. There were um, six episodes uh, over the years that was called bad medicine. And it was like, it took place at taverns, sometimes in streets outside of bars and whatnot. But we would, we would sell drink specials for the bar, right? Because that's how, that's how fancy mm-hmm. we are. And um, we would also put on a big show that had a storyline. And I mean, every show had a theme that was sometimes decided by the venue and other times they were like, do whatever you want. So the first, the first episode was like bad medicine, you know, and it was just us selling drinks. <laughs> the, the medicine was just <laughs> the drinks. Like, so we had, we had the circus performers and we did acts on the stage and then we would go out into the audience and we would mingle and sell drinks. <laughs> uh, not very glamorous really. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we had a couple of other episodes. There was like, there was like a, a uh, there was a revival episode we did where it was like we had a preacher on stage who was like saving people's souls, you know, and that was, uh, of course, selling drinks. You know, <laughs> you, you get people to buy drinks. So Bad Medicine was an ongoing review we did for a long, long time. I actually just found a script for an undone show that would have been the next episode of bad medicine recently in my documents. It has a, a cast list like oh, wow. performers I used to work with. It's like names and the script is written. I can't believe it. It was a, it, it was a Christmas episode. <laughs> <laughs> did it, Christmas did episode. it, was it also centered around selling people drinks or? Yes. <laughs> Look, man, we had to make the money, you know? <laughs> um, but so the 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 first big show that I ever did was called Clockwork Vaudeville, and it took place down in San Diego at what was at the time called the Stephen and Mary Birch North Park Theater, which was this big ass, legitimate theater venue. And we did the we did the whole show with a band called uh, Steam Powered Giraffe. Oh my and god! Yeah, these guys are. They are mimes who sing. Wow. And they, they they do this, their makeup, they're amazing. They do their makeup up like robots and they, the way they move and, you know, with all their movements, they, 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 uh, they tut and make their own sound effects verbally. So they'll be singing a song and then they might turn and be like, you know, and it's just incredible. Uh, their showmanship was, was really something special. I saw them in the park. They were just um, busking. And I was like, I also am a nobody with a circus talent. Like, should we do a thing? And we got together and we made this big show and we sold out the venue. Um, 
Wow. You know, 750 seats that night. It was a huge success and it put us on the map. And uh, that was the first big success. Up until then, we'd only had a couple of episodes of Bad Medicine and a bunch of hotel gigs, you know? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Did the... And I was bouncing sometimes in my free... I was a bouncer and stuff. <laughs> oh, okay. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Did the kind of like the nature of the shows change after that or... I did uh, most of what we did, most of how we made the money was gigs and gigs is <laughs> you show up and you just, you have your aerialists doing their thing and you've got whoever else you signed on, maybe a hoop dancer, some fire performers, stilt walkers, whatever it is. We worked with a lot of people down in San Diego, some of whom I'm, I'm uh, still in touch with today, you know, good friends. The nature of the shows were malleable, you know, they were <laughs> whatever they needed to be. Uh, the other big shows that I wrote and produced were, uh, to be honest, pretty derivative. They were called fairy tales <laughs> because, you know, nobody owns fairy tales. I didn't have to pay anybody. So I was like, I can do a circus show that's all about fairy tales. Uh, and it was, of course, it lent itself well to the concept because a fairy tale is could be part of a series of vignettes. And then you can mm -hmm. approach a bunch of different performers and you can go, Hey, I'm doing a show on fairy tales. You do, uh, let's say you're a juggler. I go, what kind of fairy tale sounds fun? And I'll, I'll, I'll make you a costume and you know, I'll pay you this much. And uh -huh. then they would tell me and I would go, okay. And then I would just write them into the narrative. Uh, after the fact. So I got the cast together and then I assembled the script, uh, uh, after deciding who was going to be in the show. I see. Cool. Yeah, we did two runs of fairy tales and it did pretty well. It was a family friendly show. Bad Medicine was an adult review. It was like nasty. <laughs> but um, fairy tales was, you know, there were a lot of kids and God, performing for children is really, it's an amazing thing. They just, the way they look at you, you know, like mm -hmm. you bring them this magic and it just, it feels so good, you know? And I, I remember having, uh, people on my emailing list, like coming to another show after having seen fairy tales. And they were like, Oh, our kids talk about you guys. They like at the house, our kids go, let's play circus. Oh my God. And I was like, that's like brings tear to your eyes kind of thing. Aww. You know, I just, it's just, I, that's, I really do miss performing for children. Yeah. That sounds very nice. Um, yeah. Do you, so it or it's funny to hear you talk about like um the like your like writing process and like what I like writing more like vignette like or small like things or like little mm. pictures of things Rich and then hearing writing, about the yeah. circus performance and like oh these seem connected <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> it's uh you can you can definitely see the uh the footprints of of my uh of my history all over the way that my writing process is. I really do need to be more disciplined. <laughs> uh, I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, don't, don't we all, um, <laughs> what else are you working on in like, or, you know, without giving too much away, but like what other kinds of things are you working on in, in your writing? Well, right now I'm working on a series of vignettes that are sort of like, kind of like a Twilight zone -y vibe, just weird stuff, not necessarily horror, um, mm -hmm. but spooky. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
I don't know, contemporary paranatural short stories, I guess you might call them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, the, one of the reasons I'm working on them is because they seem to be the only thing I reliably work on because they're fun. Mm. You know, <laughs> I, I, if I'm, if it's not fun, I, I, I have trouble getting it done <laughs> when it comes to writing. <laughs> you know, no one's paying me to do it. So you, you have to, you got to come back to it because you want to. And I'm a yeah. laborer. You know, I spend my days building fences and digging ditches. So uh-huh. feels good to stick my ass in a chair and, and be creative. But uh, it's also pretty easy just to uh, read a book and go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, when when you do get to, like, work on something that's fun, like, I don't know, it's, like, nice to get immersed in in yeah. those worlds. It feels really good to be to be telling a story, even if um, uh, nobody has seen it yet. It, it really, it does, you know, there's a special feeling to being like, oh, I got something. I got something for the people. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming, you know? Yeah, yeah. And like, I don't know, especially like with, in like writing these kind of like paranatural or like Twilight Zone like things, like do you, do you have to do a lot of like, do you have to put a lot of thought into kind of like building out those worlds in your head before they, before you write them or? Yeah. I, so I have found myself doing like weird bits of research. I feel like, you know, my, my, my English teacher, uh, Mr. Conley, he warned me about this. He was like, Oh, if you want to write fiction, you have to do a whole lot of studying. And I didn't get it (laughs) when I was a freshman in in high school. I was like, whatever, Larry, you know? And (laughs) now I'm like, well, if you want to write a story uh, and say, even if it's a short story, say the protagonist is a journalist, you know, mm-hmm. and you're writing it from this journalist's perspective, she is going to uh, necessarily express herself through the lens of her profession because that's relevant to the whole story but like do you know anything about journalism and if the answer is no <laughs> guess what you're studying journalism Fucking journalism <laughs> you know yeah. so I'm, it's, it's you find yourself um like i'll be down here you know staring at my monitor uh uh, uh with my hands just floating above the keyboard doing nothing my mm-hmm. partner will come down and be like oh what are you reading about and i'll be like journalistic integrity <laughs> <laughs> And they're like, okay, you know, like they, they, they know better than to ask me why anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I heard this. I heard this funny thing from a from a fiction writer once about like needing to install like Tor, the um encrypted like web browser, just oh, to like the Onion Router. Yeah, T-O-R, just, right. Yeah, yeah. Just to feel comfortable like searching for things that they were researching for fiction. Oh God. <laughs> and I like, know. you know, Wait, I'm on probation right now. Like, you know, sometimes <laughs> before I do a search, I'm like, mm, I'm being watched. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, it's for things with like, with some writers where they're like, Oh yeah, I don't, I just don't want it to come up in my like search history when I like had to think about for a story, like how does this thing decay in this substance? Uh, (laughs) can you imagine like if if, i mean i'm I'm not writing like pure horror but i'm writing Mm -hmm. you know sort of spooky stuff and sometimes you're you're asking yourself questions that that are 
pretty dark. And then you're like, I'm going to just punch this into Google now. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just going to, yeah. How long does it take a body to dissolve in saline? And you're like, why? Would a person ask this? (laughs) (laughs) Because because they're writing (laughs) horror fiction. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, it's like, I I don't remember putting it on my tax returns that I'm a, um, that I'm a fiction writer, you know, (laughs) like, Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my probation officer might have a question you know <laughs> yeah I'm sure, I'm sure there's a i'm sure there's like some movie out there or like book that's about this like writers having to 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 deal oh, with that certainly. Um, I, I, <laughs> it's chores it's a bunch of chores yeah are there are there like other things that you've been reading or like media that you've been consuming that's been uh, particularly like fueling any kind of like creative processes? Uh, God, lately my reading has actually been pretty dry. Well, actually, no. There's a fun. I haven't really been reading too much uh, like long form fiction lately. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sort of picking up some kind of older books, but. Uh, the last thing I read was a graphic novel called Pantheon. Um, okay, I don't I, know it. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I talked to this guy on Mastodon who, who is the creator and I, and I just saw it in his link tree and I was like, oh, and so I saw it and I picked it up and it's pretty cool. You know, like, I don't remember the last time I read, well, the last series of graphic novels I read, I think was, um. Uh, Lock and Key by Joe Hill, no Stephen King's son. That's a oh. Netflix series now. Which that, I, I, I was like, that's why that sounds familiar. Okay. Yeah, okay. It's in my watch list, uh, but I I, don't, I haven't seen it. I don't know. It's probably good. You know, I mean, the 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 novels are very good. But in terms of like book books, the stuff I've been reading lately has been pretty dry. I just finished um, No Pasaran which was the it's an anti-fascist uh collection of writings by a bunch of different authors edited by edited by uh shane burley oh cool Um, yeah and oh wow small world it was a hefty book i know right yeah (laughs) yeah we we just had shane uh, shane burley on live like the world is dying um, oh, talking oh, about conspiracy right. theories. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, the first, I talked to Shane for the first time. I think like nine months ago or something. Before my sentencing hearing, he interviewed me mm-hmm. uh, about the situation up here in Portland. Which, uh, for some for some reason, I'm relevant to that conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that is that something that you want want to want to talk about? Oh yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. I mean. The, the short version of what happened to me here in Portland was that I was uh, protesting in the streets and witnessed an attempted murder by out-of-town neo-Nazis, and, and I intervened, and then I got charged with a slew of crimes and several felonies and waded oh my, my way through that for the last three years. Dang, that's, that's horrific, but you have skated away onto probation? Yeah, I mean, not well, that probation I, is skating, but... Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It's like, well, it's not prison, you know? Yeah. And I mean, Oregon has some absolutely terrible criminal law, you know, uh, mandatory minimum sentencing laws here that are just abusive. Uh, and of course, yeah. that's what the DA chose to hit me with. Um, I mean, it, the, the, the details aren't really worth going into, but mm-hmm. uh, rest assured that it's nonsense, you know? 
it, in my cases specifically, nobody was injured and it, 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 it could easily be demonstrated by anyone even, you know, cursorily reviewing the facts uh, that I prevented serious injury and potentially death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and yet, you know, I was being charged with up to 29.8 years of prison time and oh well God. over $750,000 in fines. And it's like, there were Nazis here trying to kill people and our yeah. DA never even bothered to try to contact them. These people oh that are God. on video, you know, attacking Portlanders. Yeah. Um, it really says all you need to know about uh, criminal justice and uh, anti-fascism, the relationship between the two, rather. Yeah. Or, I mean, you know, like the same year, probably. Um, we have like Kyle Rittenhouse getting like asked to like oh. run for office after killing people, oh. you know? Oh, right. You know, what's funny. Here's a, here's a coincidence. My sentencing hearing was the same day as Kyle Rittenhouse's trial. Oh my God. Yeah. He got off the same day that my sentencing hearing took place. Uh <sighs> God, just, that's bleak. Yeah. I I was just like everything. I mean, my sentencing hearing was kind of wonderful for a number of reasons. My my the prosecutor didn't was not familiar with the facts of my case. Like she literally didn't know what who I was or why I was there. And that was obvious to the judge. The judge was like, what did he say? He said he said uh I'm not seeing evidence of a crime having been committed. <laughs> and this is not my sentencing, you know? So I'm being sentenced. And he's like, I don't think he did the crimes, though. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and she's like completely out of the water, basically. Just like doesn't know what she's talking about. At one point, I leaned oh over God. to my attorney. Yeah. I leaned over to my attorney and I whispered. I go, what, what is she doing? <laughs> and he goes, she doesn't know the facts of your case. <laughs> and so behind my back... Uh, I, I, cause the media was there, you know, the Oregonian and stuff behind my back, I gave a thumbs up to the rest of the courtroom. And, uh, if you, if you search for it, you can find a picture of me thumbs upping everybody at my sentencing hearing. <laughs> because I, I was like, we got this, you know, but it did oh result God. in, uh, uh, probation and, uh, a lot of community service, but Hey, I'm an anarchist, you know, community service is kind of what we do. Yeah. I always found that really funny like i like i don't know like working with organizations like food not bombs when i was um younger it was like we we would get people who would come and like try to they'd be like oh i need to do community or sorry people who worked with food not bombs would get sentenced to community service and Uh it's like they're there (laughs) and it's like well i don't know you've already done like 400 hours of community service <laughs> like, oh no like, <laughs> yeah it's incredible yeah that's the the judge gave me a choice you know because the my prosecutor was really pressing hard for jail time and fines and mm-hmm. the judge was like how about none jail time and uh mr dial would you rather pay a fine of $1,000 or do 80 hours of community service. 
And I went, I think I'd rather do the community service, Your Honor. I believe I'd be good at it. And he went, all right. And that was it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's good. Yeah, I just, as an, as an anarchist, you know, being sentenced to community service, that's just you being told you have to keep a calendar. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. All right. Yeah. um, I'll help some people. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm like, what a sentence, you know? Yeah. It could have been worse. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that it wasn't. Um, We probably have to start wrapping up soon. Um, Is there anything more that you want to say about anything that we've talked about or the, uh, piece that you, uh, sent into us, why the wind howls? Oh gosh. Why the wind howls is so self-contained. You know, a couple of friends of mine asked me if, if I was going to turn it into like a larger story. And I'm like, well, that, that's <laughs> no more story there. One of the things I don't really like about a lot of modern media is the unnatural lengthening of a story, you know, mm-hmm. someone will come out with a series and it'll get produced and it's on Netflix. And then the, the season ends and you're like, that was fucking great, but the story yeah. is over. And then, but because it was so popular, they get forced to make another season and you go, no, <laughs> I'm always afraid of stepping in that trap. Creatively speaking, you know, I don't mm-hmm. want to, put some piece of art on life support for no reason other than to keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? I, I want to keep things fresh and uh, God, I have so much other uh, fucking work to do. I'm so far behind all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I don't know, you know, it's like a nice little like self contained thing, which is the beautiful thing yeah. about like kind of like myths and like origin stories as they, they, they have a place in a world that they exist in and exactly. and they have just these nice little containers, but yeah. And it felt good to tell that story. I was like, this is like a, you know, a love story basically. It's mm-hmm. a, and I felt like it, the thing I really liked about why the wind howls was it, it is a little unconventional in terms of relationships, right? It's like, this old committed relationship that becomes opened to another participant and things mm-hmm. don't go as planned. It's, it's rough and there's pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, but they all adjust and, and there's still love. There's forgiveness and understanding and growth. And, uh, you know, having struggled through some relationships myself, uh, and made mistakes, uh, and, and been hurt and hurt people just as a, as a, part of my own story felt really good to tell a tale like that one where it's all contained in this way that that uh that involves growth and love and healing and expansion yeah yeah Yeah, it was great i'm hoping to do more like it but that story is over that particular one (laughs) it's done (laughs) nice yeah there's I don't know. There's, there's also just like a, there's, you can have such fun with like creation stories, like, um, yeah. Or even like stories that explain like kind of like events or like phenomenon, like, um, 
uh, it took me a really long time to realize that the like story of like Persephone um, is also a it's it's also like a a fun explanation for like the seasons and like spring and winter and like I was like the first time I realized that I was just like oh my god because there's this like well in my head the story of Persephone is very different than like the stories that get told which is Mm. a whole podcast in and of itself but like um and how many versions of that story I've been told you know yeah yeah it's it's just it's fun to have fun with those things and yeah yeah i i i loved uh one of the first books i remember reading from like front to back was a book of uh uh, greek and roman myths Mm -hmm. uh when i was in like first grade or something and i remember the 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 best parts about the myths were their ties to the real world you know I, I loved the idea that, like, yes, of course, there's not a man driving a chariot across the sky, but like, why does the sun go from here to there? You know, uh, yeah, you know this this creative endeavor that explains something that you that you see every day, and uh, why the wind howls was was a, a, a definitely a love letter to real creation myths. You know, I mean the 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 birth of the moon and why you know, so much gold. How did it come to the earth? I mean, a lot of it was said to have been deposited here by this catastrophe (laughs) of celestial bodies and, you know, the acidification of the oceans and all that stuff. I mean, I, I tried to work some actual science in there. Of course, I'm not very good at that sort of thing, but it was fun. Yeah. And, you know, I love, I also love watching the universe get reduced into, um, like celestial bodies crashing into each other and shit happening (laughs) (laughs) because that's like what the universe is space is so empty except when it's not you know (laughs) crazy shit happening out there i was reading uh uh uh, i was reading oh the one of the other fun books i've been reading lately do you know who randall monroe is he no no idea author of the comic strip xkcd Oh, okay, well, I do know. I do know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm reading the. I'm reading what if two, and it's just people submit to him these ridiculous questions, just <laughs> like absurd stuff. You know, like the the one I just I just finished the second series in the or book in the series, and uh, um, some kid asked him like, "What if the moon was made of electrons and the Earth was made of protons?" And he was like. <laughs> Yeah, Randall Monroe, his response was basically, in a nutshell, like, this is the most destructive question anyone has ever asked me. Like, like, electrons do not like to be close together. So if you created, just, like, voiped a moon made of electrons into existence, like, they would fly apart with universe-destroying force. And the whole book is full of these absurdities, you know? Uh, (laughs) uh, And and I love that sort of thing. I love... uh, these you know pretenses based in uh fact yeah (laughs) yeah yeah they're really fun um well that we gotta wrap it up now unfortunately for for time but um i do want to leave with this this thing um have you Uh ever been you have you ever been to arizona Oh yeah, God! Not since I think the last time we were there, I was like fourteen. 
Yeah. Um, did you notice, it, especially in the summer, it's um, quite windy at dusk? Hmm. You know, I'd be lying if I said it stood out to me in my memories, although it could very well be that I did notice it at the time. Cool. Yeah. Un- unimportant. Yeah. Um, well, it gets really windy at nighttime here, and oh. I was curious, and my friend told me, and I, I, you know, it's one of those things that I really hope is true. I'm going to cling to it being true, but um, the reason that it gets so windy here at dusk is because the there's no humidity, you know, so the, the sun disappears, and suddenly all of this air, uh, like up high, gets like rapidly cools and just falls. And it creates this like convection current of just like hot air rapidly cooling and falling mm-hmm. thousands of feet and then like hot air getting shot it's up and then air, yeah. rapidly cooling and falling. And it just creates these like giant wind currents throughout uh-huh. the valleys because there's nothing to stop it either. Yeah. And I don't know. I want someone to write a story about that. I don't know what that story <laughs> is, but... If, if I were, I mean, shit, I could do another story about the wind, but then everybody would see it coming. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Very true. Um, cool. Well, um, where, where, where can folks find you on the internet where you want to be found, if anywhere? Oh gosh, I'm. I I, I got kicked off of Twitter. Uh, Elon Musk is just terrified of me. Me personally. Of <laughs> Uh, so I'm not on Twitter anymore. I, I my internet presence is tiny. Uh, you can find me on Mastodon. Uh, my username is Beta Cuck for Life. Um, cool. You know, there's a story behind that. Don't be mad at me. I'm taking it back. It's about empowerment. Okay? Incre- I mean, we're about to publish a book called Escape from Incel Island. So um... oh, I love you guys so much. <laughs> After my heart. Y'all. Wonderful. Yeah. Hey, it's been so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for doing this. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the podcast. And we'll see you later. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go tell someone about it. Whisper its name in their ear, carve a review into a rock, and hurl it into the cosmos so that it too can start a new world. Also, you can rate and review and like and subscribe or whatever the algorithm calls for. Feed it like a hungry god. But really, just tell people about it. It's the main way that people hear about the show and honestly one of the best ways to support it. However, if you want to support us in other, sillier ways that don't involve feeding a nameless and mysterious entity, consider supporting the show financially by subscribing to our Patreon. If you subscribe to our Patreon at $10 a month, we will mail to you a zine version of the pieces that you hear here every month, anywhere in the world. You can also get access to an archive of Old Strangers content, as well as discounts on things like t-shirts and books we publish. Find us at patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness. Just to plug some other things that strangers and our friends have going on, our first book, Trianarchism for Life by Cindy Milstein, is currently out. You can find it on our website or wherever you get radical books. 
Our second book, Escape from Incel Island by Margaret Killjoy, is currently out for pre-order. If you would like to carry our books in your distro or bookstore, if you're in the U.S., contact AK Press, our distributor. And if you are outside of the U.S., then get in touch with us, us on our website because we want to talk to you. A dear friend of the Strangers Collective also has a book out for pre-order right now, Nourishing Resistance, Stories of Food, Protest, and Mutual Aid, edited by Rena Rye, along with a foreword by Cindy Milstein. The pre-order is currently live at pmpress.org, so please go check it out. Ren is an incredible writer, editor, and archivist. We are putting out a new podcast soon called the Anarcho Geek Power Hour. It's going to be a blast. It'll feature several different Strangers Collective members, and we're going to talk about nerd shit. Our theme music is by Margaret Killjoy. Our zine layout is by Cassandra. And thanks to the lovely mountain goblins that mail out the feature every month. That's all my plugs, except for a very special series of shoutouts to these wonderful people who have helped make this podcast, as well as so many other projects possible. Thank you, Hoss the Dog, Micaiah, Chris, Sam, Kirk, Eleanor, Jennifer, Starro, Kat J, Chelsea, Dana, David, Nicole, Mickey, Paige, SJ, Sean, Hunter, Theo, Boise Mutual Aid, Milica, Paparuna, and Allie. Thanks so much for your support. It means so much to us and has allowed us to get so much done this year as a collective. And lastly, a lot of these features on the podcast come from listeners like you, so if you feel like a stranger that would like to find their story a home in this tangled wilderness, consider submitting it. We await its cataclysm. And thank you everyone for listening. I This podcast has been going for exactly a year now, and that just makes me so happy and feel so many weird things. Um, so thank you everyone for listening. Next month, we have a look at a mini role-playing game written by me. It's called Escape from Incel Island, the game. And it's an RPG game that I crafted in a similar manner to such games as Honey Heist. Except in this game, instead of being a wholesome criminal bear, your two stats are incel and escape. And you're trying to... Escape Incel Island. It was created to go along with Margaret's new book, and instead of me interviewing myself about it, we are going to play it. Well, uh, well, other people are going to play it. I'm going to run it for Margaret and some other podcasters. So, stay well. We hope you come back. <laughs>